This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 3 Glynna sighed and wished her foot was solid enough she could stomp in vexation. She stayed hovering above the wet chapel steps, watching as Arden walked back to the palace arm in arm with Maddox. The little girl hardly blinked, all her attention focused on the prince. Alex walked next to his sister and their guest, his fists jammed into his pockets, shoulders hunched, scowling. She's not going to listen to a word I say until that overdressed poser is gone, Lina told the stone roses carved into the lintel of the chapel door. Oh, my, we are going to have trouble. I can just tell. That evening, Princess Arden was permitted to stay up past her bedtime to attend the dance given in honor of Prince Maddox's visit. This was his first visit to Westerland since the christening. He had been busy since his arrival, impressing the nobles and the members of the king's council with his heavy courses of study over the last seven years, and how much he had traveled to other kingdoms on behalf of his father, whose health, unfortunately, was declining far too quickly. It was a pity, he confided to anyone who expressed concern, that the gifted healer Ambrose couldn't be in constant attendance in the palace. Of course, Maddox understood completely that his great-uncle had an obligation to share his healing gift with everyone, but was it really so selfish to want that gift to be focused on family first, especially when that family was the King of Stonemount? Coman and King Alfred and several others had already noted how often Prince Maddox seemed to echo his counselor Lord Jago's phrasing and his intonation and sometimes even his solemn expressions. Both Prince and Counselor commented frequently on what a good match Maddox would make for Arden, and how Westerland needed a much stronger bond with its longtime friend and ally. Neither one had said the word betrothal, yet the impression of many of the nobles in the small ballroom was that both royal families had an unofficial agreement regarding the union. Tonight wasn't the time to confront Lord Jago or meet with the council to clarify the situation and begin tracking down the rumors to their source. Tonight was a time for enjoyment, relaxing, and socializing, and hopefully wiping those hints of sneers and condescension from the expressions of many Stonemount representatives. By the second dance of the evening, Arden hadn't made her entrance. Queen Elise confided in Alfred and several of their closest friends that their daughter had insisted on a new arrangement for her hair tonight, to go with her new dress, and thus was running late. She's growing up too quickly, Alfred murmured, and shivered with a sense of impending doom. He managed to smile when several of their friends made appropriate remarks of sympathy, and then offered humorous stories of their own trials and tribulations as parents. Maddox had learned well how to hold up a mask of interest, and to pretend to be grandly entertained when he wanted to scream from boredom. He sat with Lord Jago on the small days where Westerland's royal family watched the celebration. He tapped one foot in time with the music, 
and held the same slightly heroic pose that had enchanted Arden that afternoon. He smiled, as if nothing in the world was so pleasant as watching the farmer nobles, as Jago sneeringly referred to them, having a simplistic good time. Occasionally, the corner of his smile twitched as he made a disparaging comment under his breath to his adviser. Jago, in his habitual black, uttered a short, soft chuckle and added his own Philip to the criticism of Westerland's people. Late flowers and garlands of greenery and brilliantly colored leaves decked the walls and the tables of refreshments and adorned the cuffs of the musicians who provided lively dancing music. Maddox supposed Westerland used such things because they simply could not afford the silken sashes and banners and semi-precious stones that served as decorations and stone mount. He enjoyed the cider and spiced ale offered along with the fruity wine, and then told himself it must be because simplicity was so odd and rare to his matured palate. He knew, and Jago assured him, he would grow bored with it in a very short while. Maddox promised himself he would be long gone from Westerland before that happened. The doors opened at the far end of the long, oak-paneled ballroom, and though no announcement was made, very bad court etiquette, Maddox noted, people moved aside, creating an aisle even as they continued dancing. A small figure in blue appeared in the shadows just beyond the doors, hesitating. That is undoubtedly your blushing bride-to-be, Jago murmured barely moving his head to indicate the doorway. Maddox opened his mouth to make a disparaging comment about the bedraggled figure he had so easily enchanted in the palace gardens. At times like this, when he contemplated the long-range plan he and Jago had worked out together, something in him raged at the sacrifices he would have to make. Yes, he could see the necessity of conquest through subtlety, rather than wasting resources on war, but the thought of courting simplistic girls like Arden to win them as brides, the distasteful task of begetting sons on them, and then ensuring those sons were heirs to their grandfather's thrones, nauseated him. How long until he could take and then keep a bride who was worthy of him, rather than encouraging her to die in childbirth? He had only agreed to focus on winning Arden, because his father was so dead set against a purely political marriage. So what if his parents had married for love? What good had it done either of them? His father had lost half his wit when his mother died. Maddox vowed he would never let his heart be tangled in a wife. He resented his father for not taking more brides and fathering rivals to the thrones of other countries to start the grand campaign of unifying the entire continent under Stonemount's rule. Why did all the work have to rest on him? All those complaints raced through his mind as he watched the tiny figure entering the ballroom. He concentrated on keeping his expression pleasant, when he was sure in another few steps he would see whatever that silly child considered an appropriate dress for tonight's festivities. Then something caught his attention. That sharp, predatory element in his spirit sat up and took notice. The tiny figure seemed to glide across the floor with uncommon grace. A faint glimmer of gold touched with green hovered around her head like a halo as she passed from the dark doorway into the sweet-scented light of hundreds of candles in the chandeliers. Tiny Arden seemed to dominate the ballroom. Maddox was barely aware of the many courtiers who stopped and turned to look. Many ladies and lords bowed and curtsied, 
and the child nodded acknowledgment to them with the poise and grace of a grown woman. Her long hair had been pulled up into hundreds of curls, each held in place with tiny blue and white flowers that made her blue-green eyes seem larger and brighter. Maddox could almost smell the perfume wafting about her in a delicate cloud. Her dress shimmered a dozen shades of pale blue, and a tiny edge of lace petticoat appeared at the bottom where she held up her skirts. She skimmed across the glossy wooden floor, not seeming to hurry, yet reaching the bottom of the steps in a heartbeat's time. Her face glowed with happiness. Her mouth was set in a tiny rosebud of a smile. A delicate blush touched her cheeks as she made a full, deep curtsy to the royal company. She darted a glance at Maddox, all innocent grace and excitement, and looked away. She dazzled him, just as he had worked to dazzle her that afternoon, Maddox realized. She had transformed herself into a miniature enchantress, just for him. It was a heady sensation, and he lapped it up. Well, what a surprise, Jago murmured. Who would think farmers could produce such a rare flower? Indeed, the prince murmured, and swallowed hard. He bowed to the princess, delighted when her blush deepened. He straightened his coat and stepped down, bowed again, and offered her his arm. She was his, he could tell. Whatever he asked, she would do. He ached, with a fleeting stab of regret that she would have to be crushed and tossed aside under the spiked wheels of his conquest. Well, at least no one else would enjoy her sweetness. My lady, will you honor me with your first dance of the evening? They could have been a ridiculous couple, the small seven-year-old dancing with the fifteen-year-old prince in the middle of a growth spurt. His gravely serious gracefulness and her glowing happiness made them an image that caused many old married couples to sigh and smile, remembering the first days of their courtship. Maddox bent in the graceful way the fencing and dancing masters had drilled into him, and led the little princess around the room at a slightly slower pace than the rest of the dancers. To his delight, the musicians changed their tempo to match his. In the exhilaration of power, he gladly exerted himself to charm the little girl in his arms. It would not be so hard, married to Arden some day, he was willing to admit. With the plant-wise gifting she would give to their son before she died, and such a beauty to enjoy for however long she lasted, perhaps this part of his plan wouldn't be quite so onerous as he had feared. And of course, in the end, Westerland would be his. That was another pleasant aspect of his plan. He hadn't liked Alex when they met seven years ago, and he loathed the farmer prince now. Taking Westerland away from the clod would be a delight. If only he could be sure Alex would know whose hands had brought about his destruction in the end. By her tenth birthday, Arden could hold a leaf in her hands and blindfolded know what tree it came from. She could taste a leaf or flower or twig and know the health of its plant. She could take seeds or clippings or bits of roots, hold them in her hand for a few seconds, and make them sprout. She dreamed of the day she could dig her bare feet into the soil and feel the life and health of plants within arm's reach. Someday, she would be able to sense for miles around. Glynna promised, if Arden applied herself and worked hard, and the need in Westerland was great enough, Someday she would feel the health of the land and plants inside her own country's borders. As it was, 
Arden couldn't even feel the health of a tree if she planted her bare toes right against the roots and wrapped her arms around the trunk. But some day she would. On the morning of her tenth birthday, Arden rose before her nurse and dressed in one of her sturdy, plain dresses, made for roaming and doing all sorts of plant-wise work. Barefoot, she slipped down the stairs and out the garden door and scampered across the dewy grass, scattering silver drops and shivering in the chill. She tasted fall in the air, though not a leaf had changed yet. That much she could do, and her teacher admitted it was a sign of far greater feats and strengths yet to come. Her family and the palace servants left her alone because this was her special day. If Arden didn't want to eat breakfast or take her lessons, that was her decision. The cook and her staff put out special treats to wait for when the princess did want to eat. There would be a grand feast in the great hall at sunset, with all the nobles and their children invited. There would be mummers and minstrels and tumblers. This day, Arden would graduate from faithful old feathers to a full-size horse. The day couldn't be more perfect, except for one thing. Maddox couldn't come for her celebration. He had written a long letter explaining all the work he had to do. Ambre was causing trouble for Stonemount, spreading lies. Even worse, Maddox feared Ambre had plans to cause trouble for Westerland. He felt it was his duty to not just protect his own father's kingdom, but look out for the interests of Westerland and investigate all these ugly stories. After all, Westerland was Stonemount's most loyal ally. Even more important to him, Westerland was her home, and it meant everything in the world to him to keep her safe and happy. She did understand, didn't she, that royalty had a great burden to carry? She did understand, didn't she, that royalty always had to serve the good of their people and make daily sacrifices? He promised her that when he was free of straightening out Ambre, he would come to Westerland with her birthing day present and deliver it himself, and they would have an entire day together. She could show him all her favorite places in the countryside. He quite looked forward to it, and seeing for himself all the brooks and fields and other places in the countryside that were precious to her, because, of course, everything she loved, he knew he would love, too. Arden had put the letter under her pillow five nights in a row after she received it. When she woke up one morning and found it on the floor, she feared it would be damaged if she kept it there. She put it in the stained glass box Maddox had sent her for her eighth birthday. She kept all his letters there. Auntie Glynna sniffed like she always did when Arden received the letter and skipped around her room in delight, and like always, reminded her that fine words were just that, words, and actions were far more valuable and real. Today, though, she didn't want to think about such things, because today was her day for fun and freedom. She refused to mope. She especially refused to think about Maddox spending time with that fluttery, whispery little Princess Bianca of Ambre. She was all pale feathers and spun sugar, and Arden was dismayed by how her brother went starry-eyed and blushed and lost his words whenever Bianca was in the room. If Alex could be an idiot over Bianca, then no young man had a chance of holding on to his common sense, including Maddox. Stop it, she scolded herself and raced out into the countryside. She had her new horse, a lovely little roan mare, to put through her paces. She could visit all her favorite places so much more quickly now, racing the wind on her mare's long legs. This was a day for fun and freedom. 
We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What does a marriage counselor who has never been in love have to do with a missing beauty queen with an ego problem? What do they have to do with a South American shapeshifter? Or an ice castle besieged by basilisks? They're all twists on the Beauty and the Beast story. Check out When Your Beauty is the Beast, 13 stories that turn the fairy tale on its ear. When Your Beauty is the Beast, Fairy Tale Anthology Number 1, published by Ye Old Dragon Books, in paper and ebook. And now, back to the story. Mid afternoon, Alex and Darian caught up with Arden in the palace gardens. She had thoroughly enjoyed her morning, delighted to the point of being flustered by all the townspeople who made a point of looking for her to offer her a treat and good wishes for her birthday. She had ribbons for her hair and lace to trim her petticoats, seeds saved from trees and flowers that had been in family lines for decades, sweets and small meat pies and fruit pies, pots of colored ink and journals, and several satchels for her ramblings to store cuttings and roots and seeds. All sorts of treasures that filled her heart to bursting over this proof of how much the people of her father's kingdom loved her. Now she was tired and needed to be alone to think, and to try a few dance steps, practicing for that evening. Her new dancing slippers were light and soft on her feet, and the color of ivy drenched in morning dew. Still, she preferred being barefoot. The two young men paused in the gate from the palace into the gardens and watched her slowly spinning and turning and curtsying. At seventeen, Alex was as tall as King Alfred, just as wide of shoulder and weathered with long days spent outdoors. He had the grace of a dancing or fencing master, though he only danced when court etiquette required and only practiced swordplay because it was necessary. He had great skill with all sorts of weaponry, but no love for it. His first love was for the land, like his father and grandfather. He believed, as they did, that the best way to know the people he would someday rule was to know how they earned their living. He could plow and sow and reap with the best of Westerland, and his people loved him for it. He earned their admiration and awe by his skill with horses. Riding, whether races or trick riding, was the kind of dancing he loved. Darien, son and heir of the captain of the guards, stood a head taller than his best friend. Crowned with a short-cropped thatch of red-gold hair, tanned dark and weathered by storm and sun, he took seriously his future duty to defend Westerland. Though they had known no need for the army since Alfred's youth, he believed, as his father did, that the need would come when their country was least prepared. To ward off danger, Westerland needed to be prepared." His storm-gray eyes sparkled as he watched Arden daintily dancing her way across the garden, her steps so light she barely left a mark in the grass. Arden, Alex called, after only a few moments of watching. The princess flinched, but otherwise showed no sign she had heard. She bent, one dirty, damp foot lifting into the air, and plucked a rose petal from the ground. Glinna faded into view just to the girl's right. She smiled, even as she shook her head and tisked a few times. "'Your brother is calling, dear.' "'I know,' Arden sighed and glanced over her shoulder. "'He knows how much you love being out here. He wouldn't call you unless it were important. Go on.' Glynna scooted over closer, pushing out her hands as if she would give the girl a shove. 
It was an impossible effort and looked slightly ridiculous, bobbing ever so gently in the air, knee-height above the ground, with rose-bush limbs and trees sprouting through her ground. Arden chuckled, conceding defeat with good grace, and turned to cross the garden. If anyone were to call her in from her play, she preferred that it be Alex or Darian. And put your shoes back on, the woman called. You're a princess, at least when you're indoors. Auntie Glenna! Arden was very happy that only she could hear and see Glenna. She hated it when she was reminded to act her station. It was such a bore. Auntie Glenna told you to put your shoes on, didn't she, Alex said, chuckling as she joined them in the gates. I wish I could see and hear her, little sister. Could you tell her something for me? She can see and hear you, even if you can't see or hear her. She wisely refrained from remarking that she had reminded him of such things dozens of times. Forgive us, Auntie Glenna, wherever you are, Darian said, bowing in the general direction of where Arden had been moments before. If there is anything I can do to assist you, please let me know. Oh, I like him more every time I see him. Where was he when I was young enough for courting? Glenna chirped as she flew over to join the three. Auntie Glenna? Arden was very sure Darian would be embarrassed by that particular remark, and she found herself angry for his sake. She liked him and was very glad he was her brother's best friend. He had trained her roan mare for her so she could ride bareback if she wanted, in perfect safety. Arden was quite sure that was their special secret. One thing she especially liked about him was that Bianca didn't fluster him. He also didn't let Fiera of Brentonwald make him stammer when she was snappish or sulky. Arden didn't tell anyone, not even Glenna, but her idea for a perfect life would be to stay in Westerland all her life, roaming with Darien from sunrise to sunset on matching roan horses, tending to the farms and orchards of the kingdom. I don't know what is worse, Darien remarked, as he offered an arm to Arden, not being able to see her or not being able to hear her. I have this feeling we don't want to know what she said, Alex remarked under his breath, and glanced back over his shoulder, as if Glenna would suddenly become visible. You two are horrid, Arden tugged her hand free and stomped her little feet. She's always with you, isn't she? her brother asked. No, not all the time. A shiver traveled up her back that drove away her peak. Arden let both young men take her by the hand. They turned to go into the palace. When she's not with me, she goes somewhere she won't tell me about, she admitted, her voice softening. Arden had heard some of the more fantastic tales of what happened to someone who had gifted their magic to another. Glynna had told her most of them, just to show rumors and folk tales were not always reliable or even sensible sources of information. I tried to explain to you, dear, but it's beyond your understanding. Glynna sighed and swooped around, so she floated ahead of them, flying backward and managing to dodge around obstructions without really looking. Arden envied her that ability, until she thought about what it must be like to have no body and only one little girl who could hear and see her. She rather thought Glenna was lonely. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library. <laughs>